Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression. The times in which we are living today, what do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? What wisdom is there for us as white Christians in these troubled, violent times of pandemics, rising authoritarianism, and racial capitalism? And what beauty can we find in our resistance? I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap, pronouns she, her, hers. I'm a United Church of Christ minister, and I'm the faith organizing coordinator for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE. I live in the place currently called Buffalo, New York, here in the homelands of the Haudenosaunee peoples. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white Christians, white Christians talking to other white Christians about race and white supremacy. We believe white Christians like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition, because our lives depend on it. And we do this work remembering we are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado, in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. The word is resistance. So beloveds, as you may remember, during Lent, we've been focusing on pushing back on anti-Jewish and anti-Semitic readings of the lectionary texts, especially the gospel readings. These stories have been used for centuries to push anti-Judaism and Christian supersessionism the idea that Christianity supersedes or surpasses or even replaces Judaism because of Judaism's supposed flaws. Those kinds of readings have led to violence against our Jewish beloveds and continue to do so. And those kinds of readings also cover up what could be really useful resources for us in times like these, where the power holders of empire are hurting our people with their fierce and violent efforts to restrict and control knowledge and bodies, to protect profits and property over human and other life, and to divide us from one another. Imperial tactics that would have been familiar to Jesus and his people, and indeed the peoples throughout the Bible. Our story from John's Gospel for this week, the fifth Sunday of Lent, And yeah, I know, how in the world is it the fifth Sunday of Lent already? So our story from John is Lazarus being raised from death. It's a long story because, you know, John can't do anything short. Um, And nevertheless, the lectionary editors actually chop off a couple of really important verses. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, But you may want to pause here before I summarize and go read it. It's John chapter 11, verses 1 through 48. The lectionary editors cut it off at verse 46, but I'm including those two. So here's a summary. Jesus has been going in and out of Jerusalem, doing his work and having some tense discussions with different groups of people, which we should totally get into some other time. 
At any rate, Lazarus, a dear friend of Jesus, becomes ill. His sisters, Mary and Martha, send for Jesus, who kind of takes his sweet time getting there and arrives after Lazarus has been dead for four days. First, Martha challenges Jesus in their grief. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. To Martha, Jesus says a famous thing. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha says yes, essentially, and calls for Mary, who also challenges Jesus. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. This time Jesus is, and I quote, greatly disturbed in spirit and begins to weep. Jesus asks for the stone to be removed, and Martha says that there's a stench because Lazarus has been dead for four days. But they take the stone away, and Jesus prays and orders Lazarus to come out. Lazarus comes out bound in burial cloths, and Jesus asks his community to unbind him. Some of the community who see all this, quote, believe in Jesus. But... And this is the part that gets cut and never read in the whole three-year lectionary cycle. Some are worried and go tell some of the chief priests and Pharisees who say, quote, if we let Jesus go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. Serious stuff. Do you believe this? Last week, as I was pondering this story, I was also doing some preparation for a gathering I'm facilitating. We were reading and listening to interviews with Freedom Movement elder Ruby Sales. And as I was reading the transcript for her interview with Krista Tippett for On Being, I was struck by her reflections on what she recognized as an intergenerational divide between Black elders and young people, partially due to sending children out post-civil rights, to integrate into a world that did not love them. And also because, and now I quote Ruby Sales, one of the great trigger fingers of the empire is to destroy intimacy, to destroy how we know each other. The black community has been under this assault ever since enslavement, where black people's families were sold away from each other. We've had to constantly fight to maintain that intimacy." What Sales is pointing to here is how empires fracture communities. They destroy intimacy, and it's not an accidental byproduct. They do it on purpose. Even the intergenerational divide between Black elders and youth that Sales recognizes can be attributed to this trigger finger of empire-destroying intimacy Because shouldn't they have been able to send out their children into a world that would hold them with love and safety and care? 
Why would empires, and let's be clear that Sales is naming the U.S. as an empire, why would empires want to destroy intimacy? Well, intimacy means we know each other. We're close enough to one another to understand each other, to care about each other and our well-being. Maybe not always agreeing on things, but there's connection and care, and, and this is crucial with intimacy. There is the possibility to build power. Empires don't like it when people know each other well enough to join together and build power when that power could be turned on the empire itself. So empires fracture relationships, wedge us apart from one another, tell lies about us, build walls and laws that keep us apart. One of the great trigger fingers of the empire is to destroy intimacy, to destroy how we know each other. When I read this statement by Ruby Sales, I just sat back a little in my chair. Have you ever had one of those moments where you've been trying to get at something you can't quite reach and then suddenly, kind of unexpectedly, something clicks and you understand something in a whole new way? Like turning a prism in the light until ah, there's the rainbow dancing on the wall. That's what Ruby Sales' declaration that empires destroy intimacy did for me. It made me sit back and think about intimacy and this story about Lazarus and actually all these stories we've been working through this land and even like the whole gospel. John's gospel seems kind of ethereal. All these long, lofty discourses about supposedly heavenly things, but also it's really, really intimate. There's Jesus hanging out at a wedding party, making more wine for the celebration. Jesus having a late night conversation with the Pharisee about birth and love. Jesus hanging out at a well in the middle of the day and having a conversation with a woman about thirst that, if you tilt your head just right, could be read as flirting. Jesus feeding people abundantly and then telling them to eat him like bread. The Greek word actually meaning gnaw at, to gnaw at his flesh. Jesus spitting on dirt and wiping the mud on someone's eyes. Jesus weeping for a friend. Jesus having his feet anointed by Mary and wiped with her hair. Scandalous. And then kneeling and washing his own disciples' feet. Even dying. Jesus creates new intimacy by establishing a new family between his mother and the disciple he loved and in offering his last breath to his people. Even some of the metaphors Jesus uses for himself, bread you eat, sheep and shepherds, vines and branches, imply an intimacy, a deep knowledge and connection and even inseparability. So much intimacy, so much intimacy. And yet, we're taught that John's gospel is about division, fighting, separateness, stark binaries of belief and non-belief, light and dark, used to divide and conquer, to colonize and destroy. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
in the traditional reading of John, God help you if you answer that question wrong. If you've been listening to this podcast a while, and or if you've checked out some of our resources on fighting anti-Semitism, and in particular our webinar on these exact Lent texts from John, you can find our resource list and the webinar on our website and also in the transcript for this episode. So yeah, if you've done any of that, you know that one of the key ways anti-Semitism works in interpreting the Bible is by obscuring who the actual power holders are that the communities are dealing with and reacting to. And instead of setting up a story, and instead setting up a story blaming the Jews or Judaism as being a faulty religion that Jesus comes to fix. Let me say that again. One of the key ways anti-Semitism works in interpreting the Bible is by obscuring who the actual power holders are that the communities are dealing with and reacting to and instead setting up a story blaming the Jews, quote-unquote, or Judaism as being a faulty religion that Jesus comes to fix. That's a super quick overview, and again, links in the transcript if you need more resources. And so, in fact, that's not only how it works, but why it exists in the first place, to obscure the role and impact of empires in the biblical story, especially the Roman Empire as Christianity becomes its conquering religion. As I say often, the problem in the New Testament is not Judaism or quote-unquote the Jews. The problem is the Roman Empire and the violence that it is inflicting on the people it colonizes in the service of its imperial wealth and power. This is why I include those two extra verses in the Lazarus story to remind us of the power of Rome at play in this story. If he doesn't stop this, Rome will destroy us. Which, as we remember, is precisely what Rome does. By obscuring the impact of Rome's violence through this anti-Semitic and anti-Jewish deflection, all this intimacy in John is just read as parsing out where people are in the stark binary of believing in Jesus or not. A litmus test for entry into heaven. It's a binary meant to divide, to protect a conquering class by assuring that those who don't believe deserve to be conquered. It's a binary meant to destroy intimacy. Nicodemus is just a confused Pharisee trying to trick Jesus. The Samaritan woman is a whore until she gets saved by Jesus. Quote-unquote, the Jews are out to get everybody who believes in Jesus. Lazarus gets to be resurrected because his sisters believe in Jesus. When we reject that deflection, though, new possibilities for these stories become open to us. And so I want to bring us back to Ruby Sales' declaration. Again, one of the great trigger fingers of the empire is to destroy intimacy, 
to destroy how we know each other. The fractures and fissures created by Rome's violence on Jesus's people is visible throughout this gospel. And in fact, the impact of older empires is also present. The Samaritans and the Judeans not getting along is the lingering impact of the conquest of the older kingdoms of Israel and Judah by Assyria and Babylon, dividing a people with a common history into two antagonists pitted against each other. In Jesus' time, Rome appointed chief priests and scribes of the temple, and even some, by no means all, Pharisees, into elite power holders, collaborating with Rome's imperial interests, which you can imagine had fracturing impacts in the Jewish community on the receiving end of Rome's violence. The trauma of Rome's violence, the trauma of hunger and lack of access to healing also makes intimacy more difficult in the way some folks choose to fend for themselves rather than fight back collectively, or choose to fight amongst themselves, or are just too weary to fight at all. Empires destroy intimacy. When the light beam of Ruby Sale's comment hit the prism of my brain heart, trying to make sense of the story of the raising of Lazarus, a whole rainbow pride flag of meaning started waving itself across this story. Come and see. Come and see, Jesus says in John chapter 1. And suddenly I began to see Jesus moving anywhere he could get to. Galilee, Samaria, Jerusalem, the Jordan, homes, wells, streets, the temple, seashores and mountainsides, even tombs, trying to knit back together the broken bones of his peoples, trying to knit back together the fractures that the Roman Empire has wrecked on the whole region, trying to knit back together the intimacy Rome keeps trying to destroy. Fractures among Pharisees and between Pharisees and others trying to resist Rome's violence. Fractures between Samaritans and Jews. Fractures between rich and poor. Fractures that leave people hungry and without access to health care. Fractures among the Jewish people as a whole as they struggle to survive Rome's violence. Fractures that leave friends dead and grieving. Because I haven't forgotten about Lazarus. The stench of four days' death wafting off his grave clothes. There's so much intimacy in this story. Martha and Mary grieving right in Jesus' face. Jesus weeping. The stench of the body. The gentle hands unbinding Lazarus into life. So I guess now we get to have the intimacy of Anne trying not to cry on a podcast. This story of the resurrection of Lazarus is not only, as I said in the 2020 webinar, it's not only about showing that not even Rome has power over death, only God, only God, and that when we're aligned with our creator in this way, the divine who holds us beyond life and death both, Rome has no ultimate power over us either. 
and that raising Lazarus from the dead, that resurrection by the one God whose power and love not even Rome can match, that this is a way to give sacred meaning to all those lives lost to Roman imperial violence. Rome does not have the last word. Their lives mattered. Their deaths mattered. They are not forgotten. The story of Lazarus raised is definitely still about that. And also, do you see how all of that is also about intimacy? Honoring the intimacy of grief and death and how God's love and power can maintain intimacy even in the face of death, even in the face of death caused by Rome. Though we don't know for sure, we can wonder about Lazarus's illness, wonder if he was dealing with trauma and if he was malnourished or lacked access to medicine, because Martha and Mary's outcries to Jesus sound like a last hope, like maybe Lazarus didn't have access to what he needed in order to live, because Rome so tightly controls what is necessary for everyone to have life in abundance. Like maybe Rome fractured Lazarus's very body, Lazarus's intimacy with his own embodied self, and Martha and Mary know and believe that Jesus can knit Lazarus back together because that is what he has been doing all along, trying so hard to knit back together what Rome keeps trying to break apart to protect their own wealth and power, to keep the people from being unified enough to fight back against them. And everywhere Jesus goes, more people show up and believe what they see. People broken apart knit back together. Relationships broken apart knit back together. Communities broken apart knit back together. Do you believe this? It's a paradox that John offers us. Because that question seems like a binary, right? Seems like a binary that's trying to divide us up. Us versus them, good versus bad, victor versus conquered. But with the centering of intimacy, of Jesus fighting back against Rome's attempts to destroy intimacy, that question, do you believe this? Becomes a binary that is actually trying to build, not divide. And maybe that's what all these binaries in John are about anyway. Day and night, light and dark, believe, not believe. They're trying to define a community, yes, and to define it as broadly as possible. As a way of mending what Rome has fractured. Even when that means going after people that Rome has taught us should be our enemies. The reason for our suffering. Going after them and knitting the fractures back together. Do you believe this? Do you believe we can be this intimate, this unified, this together against all these forces trying to divide us? My God, I think I do. Amen.
You know, there's a stench after Lazarus has been dead for four days. Sometimes intimacy is hard. But Jesus, he stinks. That's the stench of intimacy. We don't want to get close, but we must get close. Must touch the smelly grave clothes in order to unbind ourselves from death-dealing systems and re-knit the fractures the U.S. empire is imposing on us. We must get close to people we turn up our nose at. We must get intimate with those the empire is trying to turn into our enemy. So my call to action to you this week is to find one stinky place, one fractured place that you can work on reaching out to, that you can work on knitting back together. Maybe it's a neighbor, a work colleague, a family member, an institution. Maybe it's showing up for a fight you thought wasn't for you, like fighting for trans folks. Or like donating to awesome Jewish organizations like Jews for Racial and Economic Justice. Link in the transcript and on social media. The empire thrives on our division. So however we can link up, join up, re-knit ourselves back together, the stronger we shall be. Blessed be the ties that bind. Beloveds, thanks as always for joining us from wherever you are on this good earth. We'd love to hear from you all, especially from folks of color and non-Christian folks, by filling out the listener survey on our podcast page at surge.org. And give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our podcast. You can find out more about Surge at surge.org, and our podcast lives on SoundCloud. Search on the word is resistance. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which include references, resources, and action links. I've dropped the On Being interview with Ruby Sales for you in the transcript this week. It's really, really good, so I highly recommend it if you haven't checked it out before, or even if you have. We'll be back next week with a resistance word from new contributor Brigitte Vieira for Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Already. And of course, a huge thanks to our sound editor, Claire Hitchens, who is just so immensely gracious with us and our scheduling foibles. Thank you, Claire. You're the best. Blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice, beloveds, and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap. <laughs>